I want you to think of a time in your life that you were forced with the, the willingness to take a risk. And that can be big, that can be small, but just times in your life where you weren't sure what was gonna happen. And in order, there was something out there that you thought was maybe worth taking a risk that you might look like a fool, you might feel like a fool, but I'm gonna roll the dice and I'm gonna go for this. And I have no idea how this is gonna go. So just take, take a moment here and think about that. Maybe, maybe a million things are coming to mind. Maybe some times are coming to mind that you regret because you wish that you had taken a risk or maybe you regret because you took the risk and it didn't go well. I was reflecting on this this week and you know, I thought about those small moments where I took a risk, like being willing to ask a, a middle school girl to dance. Not now, when I was in middle school. <laughs> that would be a, a bad risk now, I think. Um, but also, you know, big risks that I've taken. And, and, you know, to start dating a woman who was living in a different city and seven years younger than me, who is now my wife. But um, to have a decide to try to have a baby four months into marriage, um, to leave my other career and pursue this calling of being a pastor, like, and on and on and on. And I just populated this list. I was writing all this stuff down, like big and small, like so much of my life's joy and the greatest gifts that I've ever received in my life have been from being willing to look like a fool and take a risk. And so if you've been with us, we have been walking through the book of Acts, which is this account from Luke who wrote this book. Uh, he wrote, it's, it's like part two, you have Luke's gospel and you have the book of Acts. It's part one and two. And he's sharing with somebody the work that Jesus did, uh, began to do when he lived on this earth. And then after he was crucified, died and raised from the dead that he continues to do through his spirit working in his people, the church. And so this is really the biography of the church and the work that Jesus continues to do through his people, through the Holy Spirit, through his word in the world. Um, and he has this mission, this mission of God that we are on. And so we're saying, hey, if we're calling ourselves a church, if this body of men and women and children that God has brought together as Midtown West is the church, what are we supposed to be about? How are we supposed to see ourselves? How do we live this life? And what we're recognizing as we walk through this series is that there are a lot of bad tapes out there, a lot of bad experiences that we've had um, personally, a lot of damage that we've seen done to other people, and a lot of confusion now about what is the church and what is the church supposed to be and what is the church supposed to feel like and what does it mean to be involved in a church? What does it mean to be the church? And so what, what we've been asking um, all of us to do this semester is no matter where you are, uh, whether you're you've been following Jesus for many years or you're just curious and you don't really know what you think about Jesus, uh, that you would consider this semester uh, an exploring board, that you would lean in for the purposes of dreaming and thinking and engaging about what, what is this? Let's go back to the source and see what is this supposed to be and do I want to be involved in this? And then because you're free and you're adults, you can decide if not, you can decide maybe you've grown up in this your whole life and it's always felt like this burden sitting on your back. Well, guess what? You're free. You don't have to stay here. 
You don't have to stay at Midtown West. You don't have to stay, uh, continue to call yourself a Christian and, and be somebody who, who talks about following Jesus. You're free to do whatever you want. But lean in and see who he is and see what this is and see what he has for you. Um, and, then, and then make that decision and really decide. The worst thing that we can do in life, but also with this that I'm talking about, is to just smile and nod and let all of this wash over you. He's calling us to engage for the good, the bad, the ugly, to really bring our real selves to him and really see who the real him is and see what he wants to do. So um, with that, uh, I want to say this too. With, with this, if, if I refuse to take risks, um, what I'm doing is I'm ushering in and I'm strengthening this life of fear and pride and control. And that leads to death, literally. And it feels like death as I live it. But as I open myself up, and I'm asking the Lord to open myself up too, to taking risks, to being willing to look like a fool, to swing and miss, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm feeding this life of freedom and growth and joy and health. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to ask Nick to come uh, read our scripture passage. Jesus, you're so clear. Um, you're so clear how you love us. You're so clear that you have drawn us to yourself and you are drawing us to yourself for your good purposes for our lives. You've, you've seen fit to open our eyes and, and give us new life in you. Uh, some, some who are here are not there yet, but you are, you are working in their lives. That is your, your desire for every man and woman in this room because you love them. And so I ask that you would open our eyes, open our ears to see you, to hear you for who you are and to be changed, Lord. Thank you for making your promise that your word never returns void, that you always accomplish the purpose for which you send it. And we ask that you would make us more alive. Lord, help us to be honest with you and with ourselves about where we are, what we believe, who we are, why we are living the way that we're living. And Lord, would you come and meet us in those places and strengthen us and encourage us and redirect us if necessary, but uh, for your good purposes to give us life. In Jesus' name, amen. As Nick's coming up here, we are in um, Acts chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, and then verses 26 through 40. But there was a man named Simon. Wait, wrong verse. Restart. I, that's Matt asked me I had to start out with uh, giving an opportunity to be a fool of myself. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. 
Like the sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up, out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Nick. Okay, so just to catch us up and put us in context of this the story of Acts, um, a few weeks ago, we, we talked about Stephen, who was this follower of Jesus, who was stoned to death. And with Stephen stoning in Jerusalem, uh, it says in scripture that a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem arose. We're talking about kicking in people's doors, dragging them out of their houses to throw them in prison or to kill them. And so all of these thousands of people that we learned at the beginning of this book, so many thousands of people, the Holy Spirit did this amazing work multiple times, thousands and thousands of people coming to faith in Christ, the power of God at work, and then now this serious persecution and everyone scatters to Judea and Samaria, it says. Uh, but as they go, they're preaching the gospel. They're sharing this good news about Jesus and who he is and what he's done as they go. And so there's this temptation even here to say, are these people fools? Because we thought God was powerful because he came and he was changing lives. He was changing hearts. And thousands of people were leaving whatever it was that they believed and now they're coming to faith and then now these, these people are against that and so they're dragging people off and now we're all afraid of these people and we're running away. So are we fools for believing the truth of the gospel? No, this is the mission of God at work, just in a very unexpected way, maybe not the way that we would write the story, but remember Acts 1.8, which is kind of like the theme verse for this whole book. This is what's going on. Jesus is telling his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. He is using, he is redeeming this suffering, he's redeeming this evil to accomplish the mission of God. And so now in this passage, we zoom in on one of these followers, one of these men, Philip, uh, who is going and you know, up to this point, probably has no idea where he's going. He just has to leave Jerusalem. And so he finds himself in Samaria. And, but as he goes, he is believing the truth of this gospel. He is on mission with Jesus, uh, preaching, proclaiming the truth of this good news of, of what Jesus has done for him and, and this good news of what Jesus can do for the people that he finds himself in front of. And so um, Philip is in the city of Samaria and then God speaks to him through an angel and says this, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem to Gaza. And then Luke says, this is a desert place. And Philip rose and went. Now, okay, God sent an angel to speak to Philip and he told him to go somewhere. 
Did he tell him to go to a city? No. Did he tell him to go to a specific address, somebody's home? No. Did he tell him to go to a specific person? No. What he literally said to him was, you should just start walking in this general direction to the middle of nowhere. And Luke adds for emphasis, this is a desert place. Like he's not even going to a town. He is going to meet a road in the middle of nowhere between towns. And by the way, it's a desert place. There is nothing there. This is the middle of nowhere. And so I want to stop here and ask, am I willing to be a fool? Am I willing to look like a fool? Am I willing to feel like a fool? Am I willing to wonder, God, did I hear you correctly? But to wonder that as I'm going and trying to follow him. Because if I'm not, if you're not, if we are not, then we're going to miss everything. Because you think of all the many, many different ways that God could have done this. But he chose to do it this way for his good purposes. And we'll, we'll get into that as we go. But just to stop here, how many times has God called me, has God called you to a desert place to just move in this general direction? And I missed it because it, it didn't feel complete because I didn't fully understand what was happening. Because maybe I have this, this false belief that if, if it's really God speaking to me, then he is gonna make it so clear. And really what I'm asking for, and I'm asking for that kind of clarity, is he's gonna make it so bulletproof that I will not experience any discomfort. <laughs> That's really what I'm saying. And so I run everything through that filter. I'm like, well, I, don't, I think maybe I just thought of that. Maybe the Lord's not really speaking to me because he didn't tell me exactly where to go and exactly what to say and exactly what this other person's gonna say in response. And I can decide if that makes me feel good or bad about myself. And then I can decide if I wanna say yes or no to where he's calling me. And you see where we're going with this. But it says that he called him, he gave him incomplete information, but he gave him the information that he needed for that moment. Because remember, God is with him. God is with us. He doesn't need to give him everything right out of the gate because he's not going anywhere. Because the Holy Spirit lives in Philip. And the Holy Spirit lives in us. And God has, I mean, he works in mysterious ways, but he has very good and very wise purposes for why he would speak to us like this and not say certain things or not say things at the time that we think he might need to say things to us. So he says, go. And it says that Philip rose and went. And now we cut, cut scene to our, our other fool in this passage uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. It says, there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. So what we have here in this man is a, a man of high position, but that high position came at a very high cost. Um, if you don't know what a eunuch is, in other cultures, they would castrate men so that they were not a threat to the throne. So if, you've, if you're familiar with the book of Daniel in scripture, it's, it's similar to what's going on there. It's, they, would, they would raise up these uh, boys from royal families who were smart, who were good looking, who were intelligent, who had a lot to offer. And they would basically get in this internship program and they would be working in the, the kingdom, in the kingdom government, and they would be trained in all these different ways. And when they showed promise, they would be promoted to these positions. But what had to happen when they were promoted to these positions, they had to be castrated uh, because they could not be a threat to the throne. 
especially if the leader is a queen, because everything was about the royal line, and they, they did not, um, you know, when you're in a, a position of power like that, it can be very tempting to try to take some more power for yourself. And so um, men like this, they would literally remove their testicles and usually their penis as well. Surprise, you didn't think I was gonna say that this morning. <laughs> but I want you to let that sink in and think about this. Think about this happening to him at probably in his teen years. Think about what happens to his hormones and his hormonal sexual development when this happens to him. Think about his sexuality. Think about his dignity. Think about maybe feeling like a stranger in his own body because of what somebody else has done to him. Think uh, sexual abuse victims. Think uh, people dealing with gender dysphoria. And in this culture, your descendants were everything. I mean, remember rap videos? Uh, instead of like a guy sort of walking like this in front of a line of like Benzes and Rovers, it would be like a dude walking in front of his like children. Like, look at how many children I have. Like, I'm the man. <laughs> you want to see more of that, don't you? Um, you're not going to get it. So this man, just th this gives you a picture of who he is and where he is. And what is he doing all the way up here? He's African. He's from Ethiopia. Actually, really, I mean, it's sort of Egypt because of the way things were there. It's like he was probably Egyptian. And he comes all the way up to Jerusalem. And it says he come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The people where he came from don't worship this God. Nobody from there is coming up to Jerusalem to the temple of the God of the Israelites to worship him. But this man came by himself, long journey, because he was hungry. He was starving. He is thirsty. He is looking for something that he has not found yet, even in this highest realms of power and wealth. Is there more to life? Is there a cure for my loneliness? Is there a God? Can this God love me? Is there a path forward to some kind of life for me? And actually, this is pretty cool. He's com his coming is an answer to a prayer prayed by King Solomon hundreds of years before this day. When King Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, when it was finished, he prayed this long prayer of dedication. And part of what he says is this, God, when a foreigner comes from a far country for your namesake, because they will, because they will hear of your great name and your power, when they come and pray toward this house, would you please hear them in heaven and do everything that they ask of you? so that all the peoples of the earth may know you. But we also have this in, in the law that God gives his people in Deuteronomy 23.1. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Now, we don't have time to get into why that was written. But what we have is, is maybe this man didn't know that part. 
Maybe this man takes this long journey to Jerusalem, gets to the temple and is stopped as a foreigner and as a eunuch and it says, hey, you, you can hang out out here, but you can't go any further. And this man who is so hungry and so desperate to find the one true God, because whoever the gods were in Ethiopia weren't, weren't cutting it for him. He's going out to explore other gods, other cultures. And he gets here and he is stopped. And so he's leaving. Now, he might have gotten to participate in some version of worship, but it is a, a lesser, less close-in version of worship. And he is leaving, and he is, he is still reading scripture from this God, about this God, trying to find him. Is this man a fool? Because he looks like a fool. He took this whole journey for maybe nothing. He probably feels like a fool. And so now we cut back to Philip. It says, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. And I want just to think about this. We read over this too quickly. Philip is already walking into the middle of nowhere. And then the next thing the Holy Spirit says to him, once he gets there and sees this chariot, that's probably the only thing that he sees, the Spirit says, hey, go join yourself to that chariot. Okay, cool. To, were you done yet? Or to do what? To, okay, who? Which person in the chariot? Do you want me to say something? Just go. Like, okay. So he walks up to this chariot. As he's, I mean, as he is walking to this chariot, he does not know what awaits him. He does not know what he is going to say. He does not know what's going to be said to him. He doesn't know what these people are going to be like. But he knows that that's the voice of the Lord speaking to him. And he is responding. And he is trusting. And God speaks to us like this in love because it, he knows that it keeps us close to him. That it helps us grow in relationship with him. Think about the people that you're closest to in your life, it's not the actual events that you do with them. If, if you're going on a date with somebody, it's not actually checking the boxes of, did we have a date? Did we eat dinner somewhere? Yes. Did we go for a walk after that? Yes. Okay, we had a date. It's like, God does not have a relationship with us like that because he knows that that's not how relationships are formed. It's all the in-between. It's what happens in the meantime. It's what happens when you're confused and you're wondering, you lean in. Lord, what are you doing? Like, um, and hey, while I'm out here walking in the middle of nowhere, I got some things I want to talk to you about. So the Lord is, is speaking to us like this for a purpose because he loves us and he's, he's doing good things in our lives. He's giving us more of himself. So it says that Philip gets close. He heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet and asked him, do you understand what you're reading? So notice that we don't have the spirit he may have, but we don't have this spirit recorded here telling Philip what to ask the man. And I wonder if that's because Philip was already on mission. He knows what he's all about. And so when he gets to this chariot and he hears the man reading scripture, and he probably hears the man reading scripture in a very confused tone of voice, he's like, oh, this is it. This guy is trying to figure out who God is. Okay, that's why I'm here. 
And, and the Lord gives us creative freedom. And he asks, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Maybe it's because he's tried to read Isaiah before. But what a beautiful question for us as we go out with the gospel into conversation with hungry and thirsty men and women. Hey, by the way, do you know why you believe what you believe? Do you know why you're doing the things that you're doing? I mean, that doesn't always look like, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It doesn't mean we just walk up to people and ask that question. But like in relationship with people, as, as we're walking with them, as we've joined ourselves to them in love, and these opportunities arise and we hear them talking about the pain that they're experiencing and the questions that they're experiencing and the opinions that they have that don't make a lot of sense. We just enter in love and curiosity. Hey, do you understand why you are thinking this way or feeling this way? And it's in those places that the Lord does really beautiful work. And here, I mean, Philip is living life the way that we are meant to live it. He is out there, as, as, as a mentor of mine said, uh, the Christian life is never boring. It can be painful. It can make me angry. It can make me sad, but it is never boring. And if it's boring, it means that I'm refusing to listen. But he's out there on the edge, living life the way that is intended to be lived. And if he wasn't willing to do that, he would miss what's coming. He would miss a lot. And and you know, the Ethiopian eunuch is, is living life that way too. So now we have two fools colliding. It says, and the Ethiopian eunuch said, how can I understand Isaiah? <laughs> I understand. How can I understand Isaiah unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. He's like, have you ever tried to read Isaiah? This man was willing to look like a fool again. Think about it. He just got sort of rejected and now he's still trying to read this passage of scripture that he doesn't even understand. He's getting shut down at every turn. I go to Jerusalem, I can't access God. I read the scripture that's supposed to be where God reveals himself, I can't access God. And now here comes this man and he's like, instead of just saying, you know, forget about all of it. He says, hey, will you help me? Could somebody help me? And this is confirmation that the Holy Spirit is working. God has been seeking this man, this man who feels rejected, who feels left out, who feels forgotten. God has been seeking this man long before this man has ever sought God. I mean, God sent an angel and spoke through the Holy Spirit and sent one of his precious children to the middle of nowhere to meet this man. That's how much he loves this man who might think God doesn't even know I exist or thinks that I'm mildly disgusting to him. We can't trust our feelings, right? Because those feelings would be really wrong. Well, here's good news. All those feelings that this Ethiopian eunuch might have been feeling, they don't mean that God isn't real, obviously. They don't mean that there's something wrong with the scriptures, obviously. And they don't mean that God doesn't care about him or want to get to know him, obviously. 
So if, if you're like me and you've ever felt like this, this is a really comforting passage to show us that those are not valid conclusions to draw from those feelings. It is a good thing that both of these men were willing to be a fool because of what is about to happen. What is the passage of Isaiah that had this man's attention? Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before his shears is silent, he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? What that means is who can describe his descendants? It's a hypothetical question, or it's a, it's a rhetorical question. He doesn't have any descendants. For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or somebody else? Something lit up in this man when he read this account. Whoever this is about would understand me. Whoever this is about would know would know what life is like for me. Who is this? Tell me who this man is so that I can lean in and hear more. Because what he hears in this is Jesus. And it's Jesus knowing what life is like for this Ethiopian eunuch without him knowing what Jesus' name is. He also was like a sheep that was being cut to death. He was like a lamb silently letting others cut him. He also was humiliated in that. He also had justice denied him in that. He also was going to have no offspring, no future, no hope. He also maybe lived a life of quiet desperation, soon to be just completely erased from the earth. Who is that man? Because I want to hear more from him. Side note, maybe sometimes the Lord allows us to live through suffering so that we can be that man and be a vessel for other people who are suffering in the same way. Who is this man? I want to know the end of the story. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, told him the good news about Jesus. Philip, you have the words of life. Open your mouth and let them out. Pour him out on this dry, hungry, thirsty, starving man so that he can have life. So that he can meet the Savior who is desiring to meet him and will meet him. And is meeting him through you opening your mouth. And guess what? We have those same words of life. So let's open our mouths and let it out to the men and women and children that God has put in our lives who are starving for him. Who are living lives of quiet desperation asking at every corner, every day, every night, is life worth living? Is there hope for me? Is there something I can do about this loneliness? Is there a God? Does anyone care about me? Why do I do the things that I do? Why do I believe the things that I believe? So what is the good news about this Jesus? Jesus is the savior of eunuchs. He's the savior of Ethiopians. He's the savior of fools. He's the savior of every man, woman, and child from every stripe, every nation, every nationality, every sexual issue that we could face or experience. He is the savior of every suffering sinner that has ever lived. 
He has suffered too, so he knows. But here's the thing. He was different from us. So his suffering was unlike any other suffering that's ever been experienced. His suffering also had power because he was sinless. He was the son of God. So he, the sinless son of God, suffers and dies so that he could do that for us. He could take all of our sin, put it into himself, and let the wrath of God be poured out in full force on him so that we don't have to take it, so that we could be united with him, so that we, like this eunuch, could have a family. We, like this eunuch, could actually be married. You know, that's what Jesus is doing when he dies for us is he is marrying himself to us in the deepest, most intimate union for all of eternity. He did this. He was cut. He was humiliated. He was erased from the earth so that he could marry himself to this man. So that he could give this man a future. He could give him a home. He could give him a family. He could give him spiritual children of, of infinite number. It goes on in this passage that he's reading in verse 11. It says, you know, if, if, if we were to, to think that this one in the passage was a fool who never married, who never made love, who never had children. I mean, Jesus looked like a fool who when he died after three years of public ministry, nobody was following him. Fool. Who was humiliated who was destroyed. And before he was destroyed, he was beaten beyond recognition to even be a human being. He was just a mass of bones and blood and flesh. Fool. No. It says this in verse 11 of that same passage. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Why? Because he has made many righteous, bearing their iniquities. He has married his people. He has given us himself to become his beloved treasure. And as Philip is telling the Ethiopian eunuch this, and as he is understanding this, it says, as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Remember what baptism is. Baptism is being united with Jesus forever. It's being married to him forever is being in his family, is God becoming a father, is being adopted. What prevents me from that? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Not your sin, not God's righteousness, not what other people have done to you. Nothing. Because of what Jesus has accomplished, nothing separates you from the family of God. Nothing separates you from the love of God. Nothing separates you from life with God for all eternity. Let's go get baptized. And then we have this little surprise ending. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. So even when the Holy Spirit teleports Philip to another city, which is what we're saying happened here, it doesn't even phase the Ethiopian man. Right? You get that? He didn't say, wow, where did that guy go? Forget everything we were just talking about. Like, I want to know where Dr. Strange is. That's not what he says. He's like, 
cool, that guy's somewhere else now. Yes, like God loves me. Like that's the most amazing thing that happens in this story is that the God of the universe who is sinless and perfect and all powerful and has relationship with every being that he's ever created would actually want to come to me who I think I'm disgusting, who I think that nobody could love me, who I think that my life is amounting to nothing. He doesn't think that. He's rearranged the, the lives of an angel and a, one of his children to come and find me in the middle of nowhere. He didn't get found at the temple. He got found in the desert. That's what's amazing. And so now anything is possible. People are getting zapped to other cities. You know, who knows what else is going to happen. But like he doesn't even care. God loves me. That's the most amazing thing that could ever happen to me. And it has. It says in scripture, the apostle Paul says, the foolishness of God is wiser than man. The weakness of God is stronger than man. None of these three men in this passage, not Jesus, not the Ethiopian eunuch, not Philip, none of them are fools. They were just, they were just willing to look like a fool. They risked looking and feeling like fools to experience that which is truly life and to show us how to follow them in finding true life in Christ. So now, um, I'm gonna leave a little time for us to feel like fools. Um, what we're about to do, we do this sometimes, is we're gonna have a few minutes of just time to pray and listen and reflect, to hear from the God who speaks and to speak to the God who hears and to maybe risk feeling like a fool to believe that the same Holy Spirit that was at work in this passage is at work in us and that maybe he lives in us and that maybe he speaks to us. And some people like having music in the background. Some people like silence. And so we're going to flip-flop here doing this both ways. And so today it's just going to be silent. And you might feel like a fool, but we're going to leave enough time to where we can kind of run through all the weirdness and settle into a place where, where maybe we hear him speak specifically to us right now about the things that we're experiencing. Maybe you've already experienced that, feeling like a fool a little bit just by walking in this door and you don't know anybody. Well, way to go. Because that, that's a path that leads to life and freedom. So we're going to be silent now and then... Um, at some point, our worship team is going to come back up and lead us. Father, would you, uh, would you bless this time? Lord, would you, you clear our, our hearts, not by us trying to clear our hearts and minds, not by us trying to silence the thoughts, but would we allow them to come and give them to you? and see that maybe you were trying to speak to us about those things, through those things. But Lord, would we just submit ourselves to you in this time and let you lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.